Welcome to the I'm Not a Barista podcast, where you can get inspired by real life stories from the people behind the cup. Join us as we talk about everything to do with coffee, from having a career in this industry to brewing tips and how you can support this global community. Humanity runs on coffee and together we can empower the people behind the cup. Hello, everyone. My name is Miki, the host of I'm Not Barista podcast. And first, I would like to say thank you, everyone who have supported us, the Brewing Guide on Kickstarter. With your support, we were able to reach our goal within 12 hours. The Brewing Guide Kickstarter campaign is still ongoing, so feel free to go there and support us. And please share the project with the coffee lovers you know. All right, so let's get back to the main topic. This episode is about Janina Washkowicz. You probably have written her story on our Instagram or website, but... With this episode, there's more information you'll be happy to listen to. It's gonna be a very long episode, so feel free to stop here and there, digest the information, and come back again. Yanina is an IT consultant, an educator who works with companies to scale their business and focus on workforce engagement. On the other side, she's also a coffee roaster, a competition coach, and a brewing and roasting judge. Yanin always enjoying doing things, designing products, educating people, and creating impact. So, let's meet Yanina. Hello, Yanina.、Um, let's start a little bit different today. How about we start from your childhood? Well, I was born and raised in Minsk, Belarus, a post-Soviet country with very mixed culture. Absolutely destroyed city on the World War Two, so it was all rebuilt in Soviet era. So it, you know, like looks like this a little bit, and、uh, the community is also very, very mixed and diverse. And I mean, it's like you, you tell me, like Eastern Europe diverse community. What do you even know about this? Well, <laughs> that will be partly true, but actually not.、Uh, the community indeed is all you know, like.、Um, White Slavic people, but with very very different background because、uh, there there used to be a lot of Poles because part of the country was actually like Poland uh, uh, taken over in in in, in the, the beginning of the war, and then a very big part was all also、um, uh, Russians who arrived after war to 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 rebuild everything to. Uh, you know, to to build the careers and so on and so forth. So,、uh, and then there were like a lot of、uh, people from all over、uh, Soviet Union because it was, you know, like a fast-growing capital, best turn and so on. So apparently, it was a diverse in terms of of Slavic people and、uh, in terms of background and in terms of culture and then in terms of how do we approach work, how do we approach family and and so on. And most people in Belarus would have, you know, like one grandfather from Russian side, Red Army, and so forth, and another part of family, you know, from from Polish side, who will who would tell you stories how、uh, Red Army was actually、uh, raping local people and you know grabbing the food. So it's it's indeed a very diverse community. Uh, but it's a big city, you know, like nineties、uh, in, in, in post-Soviet country. Like it was something indeed, in but it was relatively safe. 
I was uh, lucky to have a pretty good education. I was uh, taking all from from what I can take uh, from uh, from school, from after hours. Uh, did did some uh, piano music, did some dances, played some football with uh, with with a boy. So like you know, <laughs> I was trying to get uh, what would be raised on the streets, but you know, in a safe environment after school. <laughs> So I was always doing something. I was always uh, trying to different things. I started my first job when I was 15. And then I was just, you know, just trying to get another job. It's very hard to get a job when you are 16, but like you already have an experience in a CV, you know, but mostly it's, of course, uh, some... What was your first first job when you were 15? Um, First, uh, like the real deal was... um, of course, referenced by my mother. <laughs> you cannot just find a job when you're 15. I was working for uh, her CEO. He had a separate office. And in this office, he didn't have a full-time secretary. Uh, so uh, sometimes uh, he would need a couple of documents to be um, uh, typed in, you know, like flowers to be taken care of. Sometimes he would have, you know, some after-hours uh, a party, so I would need to come in uh, to go shopping, you know, cut cheese and sausages, like, you know, prepare a table and then come over next morning, early morning or in the evening to, to actually clean this mess up. <laughs> so, like, you know, here and there just uh, on demand, but I had, I think I had to twice a week, like solid hours uh, and regular work and some just like additionals on demand, which was nice uh, because I always have, you know, some something serious to do after school while other kids would, you know, go smoke, you know, drink beer, <laughs> spend some money if they had some. <laughs> I would go, you know, uh, like I would also go to the center with them. We would take the same metro and I said like, okay, bye, bye guys. I have like a job to do. So, so I would like, even with them, I was looking cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I did a lot of jobs in my life. I started to work early and uh, I can't imagine myself without the work and uh, Sometimes one job is just not enough. I always do like, you know, a hobby project, a community project, another like research project, something for my own, something for the money, something for the soul. And, and it's like hard to combine all of all of these, but uh, I managed and uh, like, I mean, I, I've been doing this for the first like 18 years, so I kind of already know how to combine things. And, and and get it all together. I believe your early uh, working experiences since 15 must have a big influence on your life. Uh, many people, they start the first job probably after 20 or after university. So starting first job at 15 can have a huge impact on your career, I guess. Yes, it's absolutely true because at the age of uh, eight, Teen, I think, yeah, I still had 18. I was already having a full-time office job as a software testing engineer in IT after I already quit my job as a uh, waitress in one of the top restaurants uh, uh, and already was, you know, like down, down increasing in, in my salary basically five times. <laughs> I used to have... Uh, you know, like like in a top restaurant as a sector, as a as a as a waitress, like with a lot of, if, especially if you speak a lot of international languages, as I did, uh, with a lot of you know like business people coming in, 
just get so many tips. You get all the best tables. You're like, but you also learn the communication. You also learn the service. You also learn like the smile and so on. Uh, and yeah, and then it was like, okay, uh, I'm, I think I'm getting a job, uh, like a real job in a, in in IT software testing engineer. It's like it's still a junior, but it's not even interns. They're gonna pay me because I already know something about it. So yeah, out of my three hundred dollars per month, I downgraded to fifty. <laughs> That's a lot. Cut. Yeah, back back then for three hundred bucks per month, you can like you can afford a lot, but uh, money was never a priority. Absolutely, never ever a priority to me. I was always trying to organize my life the way that uh, it can be earned easily, relatively easily for me. I also look at this like uh, easy come, easy go. I mean, if it's easy for me, let me uh, as easily spread it to causes that I like, to some like, you know, education, social causes, hobby projects, collaborative projects, and many, many more. So even now when uh, I'm running my pet project, a small roaster in my basement, uh, roasting some competition coffees and uh, sending it, you know, like all over, uh, like invoicing is just killing me. Sometimes my clients after a month saying, okay, we already sold out all the coffees. We want to place a second, the next order, but you still didn't issue an invoice for the previous one. Could you please do it? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, guys, sorry. <laughs> I mean, now... Um, I still didn't issue one invoice that we're figuring out with one of my uh, very good friends' company uh, in Warsaw, uh, Coffee Solutions. Something that uh, is lasting for like a year. <laughs> I mean, like we already figured out everything. We found it. We found all the like. It took it took us some time to actually find those things, and like they are just waiting for the invoice for another month or two, and like I just cannot do this. I mean, I like doing things. I like to be creative. I like to create products. I like to create impact on people's life, on uh, um, on what's going on around me, but not in voice. <laughs> yeah. You need a secretary to help you with this and there. Could you imagine when you were 15 years old, you, were, you thought about one day, I ain't going to be a roasting coffee. What was your dream like before? a dreamer you know like i always knew that it's, uh, it's it's better to set goals than, than just you know dream big and uh, uh uh then one day figure out you're 35 you still dream and you haven't really achieved anything <laughs> so i was like okay let me dream about something that i can actually achieve like in a year or two which is a nice thing to you know to to, to dream but actually to rather to consider it as a very big project to to see what could be the first steps for how to uh, decompose each to uh, several you know uh, milestones and just uh, go step by step so i always have some goals and they are like big but sometimes it's just uh, you know like when you learn to achieve things you just achieve them quicker yeah so you have always been this kind of practical person with the goals right and make a plans and step by step make them happen yeah i think so i was never like you know a big dreamer like i'm you know like i want to be an astronaut or like i want to be a doctor or like i didn't even dream to, you know <laughs> to help people i just figured out it's uh, working with people identifying those people who want to grow and help them grow faster is is, is something really nice and cool to do but i never dreamed of this so I'm not a dreamer. I just want to raise things to happen. <laughs> I, in each dream, I want to to understand. Okay, what's the first step? True. 
And could you tell us why you chose to study IT at a college? Did something amaze you? It, it also comes back to, to, to my roots. I mean, I was born in, in, in a place when we already had a personal computer. My my father was into uh, those things. He was uh, like department head. By the way, the youngest department head that it's, it's, it's a place ever had. Uh, he was always proud about this. And I had an elder brother who was like a computer geek and he's like seven years older. And so by the time I was, you know, uh, able to speak and, and, and walk, I already knew how to switch on the computer and switch on my third game and actually play it. So uh, I was always uh, a little wow. bit here and there around it. So it was a natural thing. I, like, I mean, even at school when people are just, you know, looking at the first computer and the lessons of informatics, I was already doing, you know, some like very basic programming things like presentations in PowerPoint, uh, uh, some basic Photoshops. Uh, <laughs> I was always a little bit advanced in this. So it was a natural thing. I mean, like if you know to uh, to switch on some uh, some new software, try to figure out how it works, and actually start working with it. And being a software test and engineer is like is it peanuts? You just just go and start. So that's how I did. Uh, I didn't really uh, study much of it. My uh, my uh, graduation diploma was um, in IT management. Again, related to uh, is it. IT management and more um, more IT and economics positions were requiring to know to speak the languages. And it's just like, I speak two languages. Like I could go and, and uh, start my uh, university exams in French or in English. And physics, it's like something that I actually need to learn. And I have a very big competition. So it's like always naturally look what you already have and see how you can benefit from it instead of just, you know, going a different way and and, and, and being like lower than a mediocre. I was, you know, just finding, like, I'm like, a, you know, I'm like a water brewing an espresso. I'm like, I'm looking for channelings. <laughs> Where can I channel? And uh, <laughs> I just, I, I don't yeah, want to go, you know, like... <laughs> So, so yeah, I did, uh, I did study some of it. I did uh, work, I did learn, but most of the things that I learned in my life, uh, I never actually studied them or I studied them as a follow-up to already doing something in this area. I, I like to do, I'm like this self-education person. I like to try things out. I'm not a big of a book reader. Uh, it's like it's very slow knowledge for me and uh, I'm also not listening much I, I, I just like lose the focus sometimes I'm like a very much kinesthetic person I need to try things out to experience what's good or bad I need to interact with uh, with other people I need to try to you know to write something and read something and uh, you know like uh, discuss something so I'm a big lover for uh, trainings and uh to try and things out. So apparently I realized that trainings is the best thing to, to learn for me. And I started to learn a lot. I attended, you know, hundreds of trainings in my life uh, from, you know, webinars with low interaction up to full day, uh, highly interactive, active uh, training and I apparently I studied that. Like, I mean, uh, there is a lot of knowledge behind how to create a good training. Uh, things like uh, training from the back of the rooms, things how to make the knowledge stick, 
how to work with one's brain uh, to first reveal what's already known about this topic and so on and so forth. So I'm an educator now just because I used to like to learn a lot. So I also was trying to understand why some trainings work better and some trainings were not that, uh, that good for me. Yeah, and trying to understand how to make good trainings and workshops and apparently just get, tried it out and I started to be an educator myself. And uh, this is a very big part of my life right now, both in coffee and in uh, business, to actually conduct in several trainings to small groups, big groups, massive groups uh, to facilitate the events and uh, just make sure that everyone is engaged, everyone is interested in what's going on, everyone understands what's going on, uh, everyone benefits from it and uh, just make the knowledge stick. Let them just go and do this the next day. So bringing all that experience and knowledge that actually came from, you know, like dozen years of experience of my life into coffee education made me the favorite trainer of everyone who ever trained with me. <laughs> so before jumping coffee, could you tell us more about what is your, another job, your real job in life now? Like we already know that at, at 18 years old, I started in 19 and it's been um, 15, 16, yeah, 15 years of experience in, uh, in IT. At the moment, I'm uh, uh, what's what's called uh, agile coach. This is pretty innovative uh, job in uh, IT and business overall. Doesn't have to be IT only, which uh, allows mm -hmm. companies to scale, scale in uh, size, scale in people headcount, but also scale people uh, in in business dramatically with engaging more people, uh, making their work more effectively um, into small uh, teams, increasing the involvement, the motivation, the collaboration, planning. Uh, and for business, it's a faster return of investments. It's a, a better retention with people. It's uh, also growth in um, uh, putting the right uh, targets, putting the right goals and achieving them faster and quicker. That's my main job. I, I'm i part of the consulting team, but I'm also like a solo person. I did quite a lot. Uh, so, so this is basically an accumulation of great other jobs that I've done uh, in, in this uh, area. And uh, and I also work, work all over. I mean, like pandemic times were, were, was actually even good for me because people started to have like challenges in businesses, like how to people how to make people engaged and collaborative in in uh, at home. I mean, like we used to be in an office, we used to see each other. Like, what's now? Yes. So I, I, I had a lot of works uh, these days. Um, and other than this, I also do a lot of trainings in the area. Like uh, uh, it could be weekend trainings, evening trainings, uh, but also like wartime trainings, corporate formats, public formats. So a lot of people uh, from all over the world because I teach in Russian and in English. So uh, basically, yeah, I'm a consultant, educator, and I'm, uh, I'm working with businesses to scale their their businesses with a focus on people involvement. So it's it's a very brief. That's what I do as as my full time job for, for the past five years already. I, I think for many audience must be very interesting to hear that you real job is a business consultant and it's very. 
uh, dealing with very complex problems with IT and well, cannot imagine that. But thanks for sharing. So let's talk about coffee now. How did it happen? Like one day you went to somewhere and uh, had a great cup of coffee. What is this? Why is not bitter? Or what happened? Yes, there? it actually is. It actually happens. I think like in Prague or or yeah, I think it's it was in Prague and Czech Republic something around six years ago. Um, and apparently we drop into you know, just a lunch place or like lunch place with with coffee and tea i used to drink more tea i didn't really uh, drink any coffee just because i thought that latte is a coffee and it's uh, bitter ugly uh, apparently i was allergic to milk and <laughs> which is like okay it's, it just didn't work with me and I, I i quit any kind of coffee like you know at the age of 20 something so we are in, in this we're sitting in the shop uh, having a nice soup uh, ordered like you know a pot of uh, green tea and um, on the on the table nearby, I see uh, a very nice shape of this uh, Hario server, which you now like when people see it for the first time, it just attracts attention. And I see something in there, like a liquid, which doesn't really seem like a, a black tea to me, and it smells nice. Okay, I, I, I want to try this out. So we order the coffee. I was like, coffee? Yeah, what is that? Really? I mean, like, I wasn't, like, you know, a, such a great uh, sensory nose and, as I am now back then. But uh, I liked, uh, you know, nice food, a good green tea. So I already was tr- was able to identify, you know, basic uh, taste and basic, uh, basic aroma groups. Okay, coffee is supposed to be uh, strong, bitter and dirty. And this is a clean, uh, very, uh, <laughs> like, nice body, very aromatic beverage. It, it's almost a, like a wine. It's just like in the middle of the day. <laughs> what is it? And then it was uh, like, a, I think a couple of months back, uh, I found it in in Minsk, in my hometown. Uh, there is a first coffee shop who actually do something like this. They also have those Hario servers. So I dropped by. I ordered a coffee, so it's like Ethiopian coffee because barista advised. I like it so much, I come over and I order a second one. And they make me a second one and it tastes absolutely different. Can you imagine that if you are... You ordered the same coffee. Uh, yeah, it is the same coffee, but you have two different baristas who have zero knowledge because no one has oh. any knowledge on the market about this. And uh, they just, you know, bought equipment, bought beans. And I think someone explains them that try to make it, you know, 15 to 250 and just pour it a couple of times. Now I understand that depending on um, what is the total time, what is the uh, grind size uh, changes could, could happen, what is, are the pouring techniques, what is the temperature of this, and like many other factors would indeed change this uh, uh, taste dramatically. And back then it was just like, how can yes. this happen? I'm just ordering that same beverage, but kill me, it's different. It's, it's not the same. It's not that tasty. So I started to ask questions. And apparently after like a second or third question, like, and okay, I'm an IT person. I have an analytical mind. I dig very deep. I ask a lot of questions. I ask hard questions because in IT, we just, you know, like speak like robots, like hard questions, hard answers. And apparently, you know, a soft skills young person as a barista just have absolutely no idea what to reply. And I clearly see that they don't have both 
self-confidence, all knowledge behind what they are saying right now. Like, okay. We've never seen any customer like you. <laughs> I need to dig deeper. I need to find this out. Yeah, it's I mean, getting interesting. There should be someone else in this world who actually knows anything about it. Yeah, it starts to get interesting. So with, you know, all my geekiness that I could apply to this, it starts to be, okay, I found like one coffee school in, in, in Minsk, another coffee school in Minsk, third coffee school. Apparently there were three coffee schools in Minsk and each of them had, you know, a couple of hours lesson on brewing, which was something like, okay, let's open the YouTube video about AeroPress and this is AeroPress and let's just do the same. So, uh, yeah, and then you realize it, like, it's just, okay, let's travel, let's see what the world's going to offer. And then there's, like, IAC courses, Brewing Foundation in uh, Netherlands, then a Brewing Intermediate, I actually organized it in Minsk with a Polish ancestry British trainer who just got the certification and was quite happy to, to travel somewhere interesting. And I called around all those people who were teaching this material in the school that I graduated and say, okay, I'm doing a training about this with, with an advanced uh, skill trainer from UK. Uh, let's just go for it. I mean, like, unless I have a group, you won't come. And unless you agree, there is no one else in this country. So we did a group <laughs> and he came and it was like SCA Bruin Intermediate was like, what? Refractometers, TDS, extraction, all that weird stuff. And then I'm buying a refractometer, obviously. I mean, like, I'm a geeky person. There is something to measure. I just need to start measuring, right? So uh, I'm buying through him and a refractometer. It's the first refractometer in Belarus, obviously. So I'm just, you know, walking in. And it's already a couple of coffee shops by that time. Like, you know, so I'm walking in a coffee shop, order to, to Bruce. And then what I did basically is uh, trying to t say to myself what I think about it, like from in terms of how strong the beverage is, and then measure it and see if I'm right or not. So basically, this is how I trained my uh, tongue refractometer is that can be 0.05% precise about measurements. So after this, I just didn't need one anymore. But it was like an extensive training in some coffee shops, I just sometimes, you know, could uh, drop in with a friend, you know, just, you know, to introduce to the coffee and just speak uh, and, and had some had some nice chat. And uh, I would see a barista who would go backstage and say, I'm not going to brew the coffee for her, no. No. It's, it's her again. You can fire me <laughs> right now, but I'm not doing this. So there is a head barista coming over. Uh, who, whose shift is already over, she dresses back to brew me a coffee because the other one is scared. Wow. So can you imagine? And I, I just came to, you know, to have a coffee. You and must a be nice so shirt. serious. I did. I wasn't. It was just, you know, like that girl who knows everything. Yeah, no. And I was that girl. I was like, okay, it, it starts to get ridiculous. Every coffee shop, they know you. Exactly. It's how it did. So it's, it started to get ridiculous, but it also started, you know, to be a big social pressure. If people are scared of you, that's, that's a very bad sign. Uh, that means that uh, you need to find out why. And it's obvious why, because you know more than they know in their professional uh, area. 
So it's my social responsibility to just kind of making them. them looking bad. Yeah, exactly. And I absolutely didn't want yeah, it. If you ask I mean, questions, they cannot answer. Then I didn't ask any questions after you know that first time. After that first time, I understood everything about the market. I had good analytical skills. I was basically the one <laughs> answering the question most of the time. So those baristas who you know more easygoing, more like they knew that they could brew something to me, ask for my opinion. Uh, most of them were happy if I sit at the bar when they when I can see how they are brewing. And because they can benefit from it and actually improve their brew. Uh, but this is when I started to to do events. Uh, I started to, you know, to do massive cuppings, let's say, like I'm traveling somewhere. Let it be a Czech Republic. I buy uh, coffees from different roasteries. I do, I, I come back, I do an event. It's always, you know, like 20, 30, 40 people uh, who are who are coming? We are tasting together. We discuss things, and like I, I, I get myself some you know weird, uh, interesting brewing device such as uh, Trinity One from Australia. As it one just was like you know was 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 great for me back then, and uh, it's 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 interesting. It's big, so I, okay, I make a public presentation so everyone can come over, brew it, and so on. So I started to gather people around me more and more. And then I think we made a, a first kind of small festival that already gathered, you know, like a hundred people. And then I organized the first Aeropress competition. And then I organized a first Brewers Cup kind of competition because there was no Brewers Cup in, in SCA, only Barista Latte Arts, that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, I realized it's people are not really... Like, I imagine them announcing a Brewers Cup next day. No one's going to sign. They have no idea how to do this. They are are scared. No one has three scales, literally. In that country, you cannot find one person with three same scales. And uh, the coffee shops, brewing setup would be uh, the Wilfa Swag for 100 euro as a grinder. Obviously, no EK or, or anything like this. And you're like two servers. Uh, some were just using, you know, like a cheaper wine bottles from local glass store, two v sixty, and that is. I mean, like the the cheapest kettle, uh, of course, without heating, so they would use the. Uh, it's how it looked like, and I think it was great. It's pretty simple, right? We all started from somewhere. I think it was great because they were actually learning something. They were learning that, like, you know, just boiling water is one thing and, like, not boiling water is another thing. The grinder is not uh, perfect. Like, you have really big pieces of coffee, but then the filter stuck with some final particle. I mean, I definitely advise everyone to hire a Belarusian barista if they are like, you know, in Russia, in Ukraine, in Poland, there are like a lot of Belarusian people now live in the country. Because of the political situation, just hire a Belarusian barista. That person would know way more than your like 
local one, who started with nice scales, beautiful cattle, you know, and a YouTube video. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> those people actually did a lot of job to, to figure out this thing. So, yeah, I did quite a lot of activities uh, for, for the industry, for, for the community. Uh, there is like a lot of people who, you know, just uh, were students or like didn't work in coffee, absolutely, but they were somehow nearby. They were attending some cuppings, uh, this and that. And apparently they did a career in coffee. I mean, like they participated in some battles, they participated in an aeropress and they apparently they participated in like in this uh, brewing something. And then they felt uh, that uh, they are ready to to go and actually working in a cafe for a part time uh, as a student, and they were doing a great job, and they were like you know attending other competitions. So there were people who actually started the career and made the career with those activities uh, they organized. And I'm really happy about this. My time in in that place was was over. <laughs> I was, uh, even when I was already. Um, me and my husband, we were already out. We were already uh, based in Poland, and I had a lot of travels because I still had clients with my with my main work. Uh, um, when I started uh, to to work in consulting rather than full time, I had clients in Russia, Ukraine, Belarus, but then some in Germany and that part. And I was like touring because there is no direct flight, let's say, from Ukraine to Russia. So I was organizing the tours when I uh, like fly from, Pol- from Poland, let's say I fly to Ukraine, uh, do, you know, like you do a quick customer, maybe attend a couple of coffee shops, then come, uh, come to Belarus. I, I, had, I still had a place to stay, you know, like a lot of stuff uh, uh, there. So I would rest a little bit, have, have a one job, rest another bit, have a second job, and then go to Russia. And from Russia, absolutely tired, come back, to, to come back at home, rest for a couple of days in my bed, just like without even trying to get out of the bed. And then it's like, it's the next part. It's like a Western part. So Germany to Austria, sometimes uh, to, to Amsterdam, sometimes by car, sometimes by planes. Uh, and in my trips to Western part, my husband was like happy to go with me. And to the Eastern part, he would always say, ah, <laughs> can you can you deal without me? Okay, good, good girl, go. <laughs> <laughs> so it was it was one or two years of extensive traveling. I needed to calculate uh, my. I needed to show them actually how how did I spend my last two years and where. So I needed to calculate every night spent in the European Union and outside. And I didn't like what I saw. You must hate it. <laughs> I had to figure it out, found all the tickets, all the notifications. But wow. then I was like, okay, those two weeks, I don't understand where I've been. So I needed to scroll my phone pictures Okay, I was actually in Belarus for two weeks and did zero pictures. Uh, but I think still everyone in a, in a, in a Belarusian coffee community would uh, would uh, who you know who are there for more than more than a year or, or two, but even those would hear something about me. So I, I mean, you know, like uh, I don't even know who I am uh, there, but uh, there are people who hate me. There are people who love me and there are people who learn from me. And there are people who just, <laughs> and imagine me, I would just like, you know, just out of, um, out of the train, just a nearby uh, coffee shop, just drop, you know, to take a, a filter away. 
And uh, I come in and, and suddenly the barista behind the bar just, you know, yeah, stop smiling, becomes stoned. And then smile again and say, hello. Oh, <laughs> like, oh my God, come on, guys. Just like, <laughs> make coffee, ask me questions if you like. I, I can even share some beans I have with me. So just easy. Yeah, so it was. I would like to see that, what's happening in a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. Uh, during your past experience, uh, you travel a lot between east part and west part. Uh, what would be the biggest difference in these two communities or two areas? Uh, the difference is really massive. And even between European countries, I would say that the difference is massive because we would have different roasting styles, different consumption culture. Uh, there are uh, long consumptions, coffee culture with, with you know, with traditions such as um, Norway, you know, like or Sweden or Finland, who actually contributed to the world's uh, filter coffee or like Italy who would, you know, who make it really hard for specialty roasters in Italy to, to change anything because it's just, you know, very hard to work with this culture. Uh, but other than these are cultures which uh, uh, were built quite fast and quite recently. They are easier to change, but they also do not have certain standards. And uh, I would say that uh, uh, similar things would happen to to East World as well. Like for example, Russia. I always say to to like whoever I meet uh, in, in Europe that uh, uh, one of the strong strongest coffee cultures and the highest quality of uh, coffee, you know, production, brewing, like competition level, and so on, is in Russia. They would not believe me because they don't know, you know, a lot of Russian baristas or roasters just because it's a closed market. But then I, uh, exactly. thanks to Vladimir and Arseny, I could just, you know, throw in their names and ask, you know, do you know who are the last two world coffee roasting champions? So imagine if there are like two of them in a row, what's, what's happening in the whole industry. And then, you know, just quickly, I had like most of the specialty coffee roasters, and we have speak hundreds of them in the country, would produce specialty capsules. How about that? Or drip bags, and they've been doing it for years, and you just look at the drip bag for the first time in your life, and you have no idea what it is. And I bet that if it's produced here locally, it's also very poorly roasted and ground <laughs> because people over there would experiment for months and like multiple batches before they release a product because they actually work on product development because there's a huge competition in the market. I would say that the rise of the culture would be like 10, a bit more years back. Um, Russia back then was a very, very, very rich country. And uh, it would be just everywhere. I mean, like if you have a uh, uh, massive uh, money in some areas, like, you know, like uh, uh, banking or uh, production, you know, the metals and, and everything, sources, you have, you know, just pieces of money just thrown everywhere. So this is how many roasters uh, uh, set it up the roasteries. So they started way, way longer back. So their experience right now is is massive. Their production is not a hipster project. Their production is a business with uh, processes, with clients, with deliveries. And uh, you're a poor Russian roastery if you're only roast two tons per month, like really poor. There are hundreds of them again. 
and some words, you know, there are productions uh, with a couple of roasters uh, with, you know, 60 kilos, 12 kilos, and like some more like, and they know how to operate it because they've been doing it for a long time. Well, for example, in Ukraine, it's not the case because the rise of uh, coffee uh, industry and the specialty coffee culture uh, started way later. And uh, uh, generally speaking, the amount of money in that industry way, uh, was way less, like smaller. And it's only now that we would, you know, see some uh, uh, really great projects as like Takava Cafe, for example, who uh, have massive investments, who open up really big, bright and very well equipped uh, spots with great baristas who have uh, uh, very long experience in the industry because they were basically the first ones. But generally speaking, if you walk, let's say, uh, in an Ukrainian city, let's not take Kiev, but let's take, I don't know, Kharkov, for example. I've been there with a training a couple of years back. We were just walking, you know, like uh, the rock coffee shops popping up. And there are people behind the bar who have no idea how to brew this coffee. And uh, I would just say, okay, just just follow follow what I say. And he would brew a Chemex and try it and say, wow, it's really, it's really way better. Wow. Because they, someone would give sell, sell some beans equipment and give some uh, you know, weird recipes, like, you know, with ratios 1 to 15, very fine grind, including stirring in the bloom. And it's like so astringent and so heavy to drink. <laughs> I mean, like absolutely no sweetness. People in Ukraine, they just are not scared to do businesses and startup. They, they do it easily without, you know, uh, worrying about like, oh, do I know enough about this industry? Like in Belarus, for example. Uh, in order to actually start working or start a business in Belarus, you have to be absolutely sure that you have uh, all the necessary equipment, all the necessary knowledge. You're already a world competitor and then you probably are uh, good enough to open a coffee shop. So the differences are so massive, even, you know, in those uh, countries which with similar background and, and same language. And speaking of difference between them and Europe, it's just like, oh, my God. It's just poof, too much to, to compare. But for those yes. who travel a lot, I mean, there are very few people who travel a lot, both in uh, Soviet, post-Soviet places and countries and uh, Western Europe and globally. Uh, I also did uh, judge in many of those countries, did teach in many of those countries. I was comparing massively what, uh, what are the results, some, some sensory calibrations uh, events. Uh, some, you know, even public events, cuppings, and uh, even just, you know, knowing people. I learn a lot from people in Russia. I, I try to make a poker face because they invite me as a trainer. But uh, when I have, uh, you know, professional level uh, brewing uh, with a Russian group, and most of them are already, you know, the national finalists in Brewers Cup and so on, my teaching style becomes more a facilitation when we do something together, when we taste it together, and then we discuss together and make some, what are the takeouts of, of this exercise? So I don't teach. I just, you know, organize the process of them to teach each other and have a discussion. But while, let's say, I'm in Belarus or in Ukraine teaching a brewing class, and we don't speak pro, we speak mostly intermediate levels, uh, it's basically teaching. 
in Europe, again, it's, it's, it's very, very different because there are a lot of people who came from different countries with or without background. And you can find, you know, a barista who, who just started as a barista who would be relatively shy, doesn't really speak much of a German working in Berlin. Well, you don't really need to. But And then if you, you see his technique or her technique and see that like, the result is really great, and you're like, wow. You just, you know, slowly chat, like it's a nice profile, like where are you from? And apparently you realize that this person is is a competition winner on a national level from a different country. The person would uh, have a background of being a head barista, you know, like and doing massive activities and, uh, and, and teaching people around and just moved to Berlin recently. So I would rather, you know, be low for a moment to understand what's going on and would probably never have a position like this locally or at least not very fast but at the same time you can find a person who would uh, really like i always try to look what's going on in the bar with my v60 like just you know just to just to make sure <laughs> what to expect and sometimes you see them you know like making a bloom and then he forgets about it and go brew some uh, you know like espresso and then comes back I'm like oh my. that's horrible yeah yeah oh my god or like you know just uh, brew it and i like I, and i said to myself why didn't i start a stopwatch i like i bet there's been already five minutes and it's still dripping why wouldn't the person not stop the dripping it's not that i want to drink in my in my v60 so yeah it's it's very much unpredictable in in um in the Western world, because uh, they're like just everyone from, from from here to there. It's on every market like this. But uh, I would say that uh, in Russia, the competition is huge. The industry is massive. So if you really want to get a nice job and in, a, in a nice coffee shop or a nice place, you have to know something. You have to graduate uh, several, you know, show some kind of diplomas, explain what you know, you know, and, and brew a decent cup of coffee. But your interview would basically a compulsory round or a brewer's cup. You as a parasizer, you don't. You have to know something about it before you go to, to an interview. It's not like uh, as a founder would have absolutely zero idea and would just be happy with anything you do because you do something. <laughs> That's not the case. It would be more the case in Ukraine, which happens very often. Now, I mean, like, you have to be a really lazy bastard if you cannot self-educate yourself on being a good brewer in, like, in a in, in couple of weeks just with purchasing things, looking at uh, some good videos. I mean, like, you're serious of brew at home. If you just follow the hashtag and brew all of those, you already know something. Or you follow Jenny's blog, <laughs> Jana's blog. <laughs> no, I don't write a lot for, for, for beginners. It's so interesting. <laughs> it is so interesting to hear like your experience and explaining why a, a new picture that uh, many people don't understand, uh, Russia could be so good at roasting. Like you said, if I ask them, do you know the last two world champions, where they are from, people are saying, okay, who they are, right? And we would add, let's say, Dmitry, who was second in the world in 16 and who was coaching the world champion of 17. And we could just, you know, continue and continue and continue. So it's not just two names. It's like way, way more names. But yeah. Yeah, I guess here, because now I'm living in Moscow, Russia. So I understand that uh, language definitely play a big role here that stop Russian coffee culture uh, connect with the world 
And personally, I love the coffee here. I found they are reasonable price, higher quality, and generally very good. But unfortunately, the world doesn't know much. There must be more reasons than just big money in the coffee industry. What do you think are the other factors that make Russia so good at roasting or coffee? Oh yeah, I can place more absolutely.、Uh, let's have a look at the background. I mean. Uh, Russia, as a、uh, reigning country in Soviet Union, was basically having、uh, most of the money. And、uh, let's have a look at our parents and grandparents. I mean, in, in if if we were in Russia, they would、uh, work in、uh, in the environment of、uh, extensive need of uh, uh, engineering innovation. Extensive、uh, pressure to deliver. Some of them, let's say, if you are in an eastern part of Russia, there would be people from、uh, from China or from Japan,、uh, which、uh, let's say left the the、um, the poor part of the country, crossed the border, started with zero, and they had to build something. Meaning they are、uh, good in self education、mm-hmm. and figuring things out. If we globally have a look, like you know, with a with a generic European person, have a look at the Russia, the image is not that good. And I would say that because of like politics and other traps, it is unfortunately. But people in Russia are very smart as engineers, as、uh, in self education and as building stuff and achieving things. People are really good. So comes from from their background, from the grandparents and their parents who taught them something like you have to work. Unless you work, you're no one. And、uh, even my grandfather was saying something like this to me: like you have to work, <laughs> you have to be a successful person. If you don't work, you're no one. You have to be hands on. He never drink, you know, like a lot of vodka, like alcohol at all. He was like allergic to those things, and he was,、uh, you know, all the way after war with a lot of medals, and、uh, then he was working till the age of seventy something for basically all his life,、uh, and he was like delivering this kind of message. And I bet like many people in Russia do because. Uh, especially people who come to Moscow. I mean, like we don't speak, you know, about the roastery somewhere very deep in a place without, you know, roads and 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 with、uh, the poverty uh, level. Uh, we mostly speak about、uh, places like Moscow. We mostly speak about places like like St. Petersburg, Siberia. No, Siberia.、Uh, well, of course, there's、uh, the exception of Izhevsk, with the guys、uh, found in Tasty, which which is already more like you know one of the greatest project in Russian、uh, coffee. Uh, industry,、uh, which is like from a smaller place, but it's more, you know, like、uh, because the guys come from IT background, <laughs> you know, and you you already find the patterns.、Uh, but mainly people who come to Moscow, they are not、uh, born in Moscow. They 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 are already, you know, naturally selected to go and achieve, to go and figure things out, to grow,、uh, to to work. And they are really hard workers. I mean, I always compare Moscow to New York. It's expensive to live in, and you just work twenty four seven. And if you don't work, you 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 are dying because you need a lot of money. And、uh, well, Europe is all about the work life balance、uh, with all the you know benefits of society and so on. You just don't need to work that much. 
you work just enough and, and, and the rest you enjoy your life, which is not the case like for many people like in Belarus and Russia. So even outside of working hours, so when you don't work for money, you work for yourself, you work for like a different project, for a side project or to educate yourself. Many people, I mean, students uh, who are working is normal. It's not normal to be a full-time student without having a job. So people just, you know, need to achieve something. They realize it's uh, like, unless you do, unless you learn, unless you try, unless you figure things out, you're going to be poor and you're going to end bad. (laughs) So you just need to grow. And if you have this kind of environment, a society, and a lot of really good engineering skills in your genes and... uh, a lot of great messages from your grandfathers and mothers about like, I mean, and this is how, why I love Russian people so much. They are so talented. There is everything, all styles of management, all styles of uh, projects, all styles of startups. Uh, some work to deliver money, some work to deliver social value or to deliver, you know, like a certain message. It's the whole world is like in Russia. So this is why this is why I understand this. Russians don't really need to go outside of Russia very much. You have everything in Russia. It's like you know American people. They don't really go outside of America very often. They have everything in it. The world doesn't understand Russia as much as you do. And you're right about that. The mentality is different. Think about living a life and work life relationship in Europe is true that people looking for a perfect balance between work and life. In Russia, it seems people have to work to live a life. Yeah, so exactly. it's definitely a bit different here. What does it mean to you? What is your lifestyle? Oh, I've been all over here and there. Like, I mean, uh, as a normal youngster, I used to combine 75% uh, not full-time, but not part-time, but 75% time job a university and I still had time to travel a little bit and to have some party and light night life but also to you know uh, learn on the side you know so I did I was I was a workaholic of course I mean like when you when you get to the business environment when the age of 18 when uh, other uh, people you have uh, are like uh, over 30 you just need to work, you need to deliver. I mean, like my first uh, five years of career was basically 24-7 thinking about my work. And if I don't deliver something, I don't leave the workplace. Things like working hours never existed for me. What existed for me is uh, like what I deliver, what kind of value I bring. It took me to stay overnight at work. I did a couple of, of this in my life when you just need to stay overnight at work to deliver everything and to make it look great and actually learn something, figure things out. And then, you know, it's just uh, show everyone that you can. Now I'm like way older. <laughs> yeah, now I'm uh, in Europe. Like it's it's always hard to, to, to call Poland in Europe because the mentality sometimes seems to me, you know, more like a Russian than a European. And the government sometimes seems to be like way more Soviet style than, than, than European style. I have a bigger family. I try to have this kind of work-life balance, but uh, it's just before not having a, a full-time job. But still, I have a second job. I have a third job. I roast my coffee. I do my trainings. I do my coffee projects, my coffee trainings. And I always find time for something like um, uh, two years ago uh, with uh, with my partners, uh, 
Uh, we founded the first uh, Q-quality lab uh, in Poland, in Warsaw, uh, Rough and Co Coffee, with that same guy who, like, five years back arrived from London to Minsk to teach the brew and intermediate. So, so like... I was part of that project as well. Like I'm not an, an, an active member, not a full-time uh, person, but uh, uh, we built say, educational programs together. Uh, we brought a lot of knowledge and experience that we have uh, outside of SCA programs to, to, to kind of to deliver what people expect, not only what's written in, in curriculum. Now in the pandemic times, uh, coffee shops realize how hard it is and the coffee shops that still are on the market and didn't just, you know, close down and fire everyone, they are great. And they realized how hard it is when you are a service in a lockdown of services. So starting to roast their own coffee, meaning another value stream and then like a lot of additional money. Now, strong cold is, uh, is, is as popular as never for, for small, uh, small coffee shops and helping them to find one, to choose one, to purchase one, and actually to start roasting on it like this without learning, without additional investments, without you know, building a separate roaster, which is very big investment in, to do. As a coffee shop, you just place you know, a small machine in the corner, outer replication profile of world roasting champion for that same bean or uh, from the local roaster champion for that same bean. And your barista just press outer replication button and you have great coffee right, right away. I mean, like, I could not join this project. This is an amazing project. So I try to help them with uh, with community building of, uh, of roasters, of uh, educational perspectives in, in Europe. So you asked me about the work-life balance. It's more, mostly sound like work, 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 work balance. But it's not work. It's my life. Those people, those coffee shops are my friends. Those uh, roasters are my friends. Those beans that I roast, I just love them. And uh, I, I, I'm getting ready for those who will ask me for being coached for the next competition or who will look for the beans for the next competition. And there's nothing worse than a barista preparing himself for a competition, buying only one kilo of some weird, very expensive beans. Uh, waste most of this kilo on trying to roast it on an ikava, which makes something really bad as a result because the person doesn't know much about roasting. That's not how it should be. I mean, if you are wants to, if you want to compete, you want to dedicate all of your time and money. You need support, and there should be people like me who will help you to get ready, who will help you to speak well to uh, assess you in a sensory uh, and describe your coffee and actually source this coffee for you, roast it for you. So here I am and I need to be ready. So I have my roaster and I have the beans already here. So it, it's not, it's not, it's all not work. I would even say that teaching and, and making those kind of um, uh, trainings, both in coffee and in business is not really work. I see how is it, people's life change. I see when after the, the training, after like a couple of months, they write a big post in LinkedIn about how they started to apply their knowledge and how they grow in career or when they publicly thank me for, for the insights that I gave them somewhere like two years ago and how much their lives have changed. And it's so nice to hear. I mean, like that's what I live for. I live for uh, knowing that uh, people who want support 
look for support, get a certain support for me, is a boost in their life. It's changed their life. That's probably what I was trying to always do even when I, when I was a kid. Life is interesting. Life is uh, experiences. I was, a, I was not a very good girl at school, I would say, because I was uh, looking for experiences and I was looking for, once I found them, I was looking for everyone else to have the certain experiences and actually learn about life the way it is. So that's probably my main mission. Definitely, you're a very <laughs> curious person and uh, you're constantly looking for chances to improve yourself. And that's one of the things that many people don't have, actually, living in a world where uh, fulfilled with many distractions, cheap Netflix, internet, and easy to get and other things. So we kind of lose that thing, curious, what we feel so passionate about. I guess the more people, if they feel how you feel about new things, they will change their life. And I want to ask you something about the sensory skills. I... I still remember earlier you talk about how you smell the coffee from another table in Prague. Like, if normal people start to learn about sensory skills or just to know more about it, what do you think they will benefit their life? It's definitely something that uh, well, there are people who just naturally, you know, are foodies. Let's say they call themselves foodies, so they look for you know interesting. Uh, restaurants, good uh, salads, good uh, good things like this. They are sensory people and they are improving their lives with this because this is an experience. Or let's uh, let's have a look at those people who just, you know, like wines. There are many people, like absolutely normal okay. people who like wines and they like wines because it is a sensory experience for them. They just don't know where else to take it, but it's a good combination of community because you normally you don't normally drink alone, and then you have sensory experience because different wines taste differently, and it's a little bit of alcohol, so you like you know have some fun and enjoy your life. So if yeah. you just have a look from that perspective, we have a lot of people in the world who are looking constantly for sensory experiences, they just, you know, don't really approach it this way and they do not structure their, their life this way. When I speak to some uh, farmers, you know, some Panama farmers who are known to, for their competition coffees, I ask them, like, where do you, where do you really sell them? And apparently that's, uh, that's what they do. There is a high class, high standards Michelin restaurants, but, you know, more like in Norway or in Japan or in Korea or in uh, Emirates are also like easy list. They would want to be interested in this like full cycle sensor experience and they are ready to pay, you know, for, for coffee, not so like locally Lavazza partner, but actually get it from the farmer and, and pay some, you know, couple of hundred bucks per kilo because they understand the sensory experience they actually have it they just need to find these things out but if we come back to real people even let's get back to one thing now i have a kid now even before this i was when i was using a tag a sensory in in in, in instagram i was always finding something like sensory skills for small kids so apparently this is something when they are taught to touch something soft and some different fabrics and sand and other things, just to understand that there are different feelings from 
different kind of things. Now, I also recall what we did in a kindergarten, like going to, you know, hot water and then cold water and then, you know, like stepping on some, some weird things and then stepping on some stones and on some soft things, which was supposed to be a sensory experience for us. And somewhere on the go, we stopped to learn this. I mean, we stopped to go further to sensor. We stopped to, you know, to 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 learn how to taste things. And I used to run a lot of uh, sensory foundation slash introduction to coffee, like one day about everything and let's taste it. When I see people who never tasted an umami taste, which can happen because it's more, like more popular in, in different uh, uh, culture, but then who just tasted it, and on the table, they cannot recognize it anymore. Like they mix it with sweet or they mix it with with salt just because it's like they cannot identify it anymore. I wonder, how do you guys even, how do you experience things in life if you cannot see those things around you or like sense those things around you? Okay, I'm a sensory person. I'm a kinesthetic person. I do take the information through senses. There are other people who read books who don't care about how the, uh, something smells on a different table. They don't even like to go to restaurants very often because they want to have a normal food. They don't have a favorite dish. They would just say, oh, okay, like, well, I just like, okay, food. They miss so much just to not try things out outside of what's their comfort zone. Of course, trying things out is going out of this comfort zone, but that will apparently enlarge your comfort zone and make your com- the whole world your comfort zone be able to, to sense a lot of things. So I would encourage everyone get back to sensory, start cooking. That's one good thing to actually figure out if adding more salt is is, is good or not. Start uh, uh, trying things out. I mean, you used not to like coffee? Try it. You used not to drink tea? Try it. You try to avoid chocolate? You don't need to have the whole bar. And one piece of dark chocolate is beneficial, is not bad for your diet or whatever. So just... Trying things out, even if you don't like them in the first sign, always recall that it's your mind playing games to you. You don't like it because your mind don't like something new. But what about uh, not evaluating the thing if you like it or not, but just evaluating the thing by describing taste, its texture, and it's like, you know, attributes like, you know, aroma, aftertaste, flavors. Start describing things. That's what I've been teaching with my this very basic course and for mostly not coffee people who are just, you know, curious to start. And you were doing something like, okay, this coffee tastes uh, like acidic. Acidic like what? Like an orange acidic or a pineapple acidic or a lemon acidic or maybe an apple acidic. How, how how acidic is it for you? Try to figure this out because they have this in, in their head. They just never train this. And again, sensory is not, uh, sensory is a gym. It's not something that you can figure out in, in one day course or two day courses. It's what you do on a daily basis. You try to evaluate what you have around you. You eat something every day, you drink something every day. If it's the same thing, it's still not the same because it's cooked differently and it's all agriculture projects, so, so, so they change. Okay, you go to a McDonald's, try to evaluate it. I mean, like how salty it is, how juicy it is, just, you know, with, with, with the basic words 
And apparently by, by learning to describe in two, three different words everything that you experience, you would want to experience something different. This it opens a lot in life. I mean, a lot of experiences. And you will not need to, you know, to do some extreme uh, sports, travel extensively, especially now in pandemic time. Many people uh, miss traveling a lot because it used to be their experience. So find different kind of experience. Find tasting experience. Find drinking experience. Even wines. I mean... It's very hard, apparently, it's very hard to, to purchase a good wine because uh, shops just don't sell them. <laughs> wow, right? And wines and chocolate have absolutely the same situation as, as coffee. Normal people will go to, you know, to a Starbucks or to like normal coffee place and they will not have a lot of great experience. So you have to, unfortunately, dig deep, deeper. It's a couple of articles, it's a webinar, it's a couple of workshops, and again, apparently we'll see that pandemic actually improved your experience of getting this kind of information at home. There's way, way more articles and videos and uh, pretty much every, you know, school or shop trying to do some virtual tastings with webinars, with sending out samples. I mean, at the beginning of pandemic, I signed up for introduction to wine scores and they sent me, you know, like uh, 18 different wines in 50 mils. I was not drinking alcohol for like six or seven years, all my coffee sensory experience. So like I decided, okay, maybe I just dig deeper. I don't. I didn't really want to drink all of them. I had to, to have my uh, husband to finish uh, every bottle because I need you know, one or two sips. I told to myself, why didn't I take this course early? Why didn't I take this course when I was 20? Because I had so many bad wine and apparently i was always thinking that wine wine is boring and sour red wine is just like astringent and brings some headache apparently it's because it was not right and same with uh, like same with coffee now i'm just open to everything now i start to start a chocolate and fine chocolate is like is a whole new world and it's very hard to find and you need to actually dig deeper to find those people being to bar and understand how to Maybe, you know, check out their Instagram and make sure that they are doing those bars themselves and they are roasting their beans themselves because many would just, you know, buy corporate prepared chocolate, remelt it into a bar and sell. It's a whole new world of experience, which is all out there. You can replace your traveling, your sports and many other things that you cannot access right now because of pandemic and make your life way brighter than it used to be just by looking uh, for experience elsewhere. Great. Thank you so much. It's a very big tip for most people in the coffee world and then everybody else just start training your sensory skills. Your life will be changed, right? Especially now you don't travel. You have more time at home, buy a bar of chocolate, get some wine, tasting, ask questions. What does it smell like? What does it taste like? And your life can be changed. I think I still have one last question, probably the bigger one. Even bigger, uh, it's about okay. a coffee industry. How to be a good barista? How to be a good, and just put anyone, any any profession, anyone. How to be, be a good programmer, how to be a good uh, uh, waiter, how to be a good uh, cook. It's actually know your subject and like your subject. If you know that you are a barista for summer job because you need a couple of bucks to, to pay something and you absolutely do not care about what you do, just 
choose a different uh, place to work and work at, uh, at Starbucks, at Costa, when they will teach you, give you the guide. You will know exactly what to do. You will work shift. You will go and there is nothing else expected from you and you will have your back. But if you want to be, you know, like uh, if you want to dig deeper, if you want to grow, if you want to develop your, yourself and your skills, it's requiring, it's demanding. I mean, in whatever area you are, if you're a junior person, it requires you to work twice hard, ask a lot of questions, be absolutely open mind to every opinion be open to every opinion, dig deeper, ask questions, ask for feedback, find a community. Definitely. Uh, there's a lot of things going on online. Like I'm not a barista, it's a community. Find people in your community, follow other people's Instagram, follow other baristas who, you know, share some tips, share some beverages, share some uh, information. There's a lot of good free information, but that would require you actually, you know, not having your Instagram for your friends and your pictures uh, of your doggies, it will uh, be your, you know, work to actually follow right people who you don't know because they have having great content. Have a look at this content on a regular basis. That's what actually I did when I realized that I'm serious in coffee. I just set it up an Instagram account to follow uh, festivals, uh, people, knowledge workers, uh, experts and so on and i was you know like whatever i did i was posting about it whatever i achieved i was posting about it to make a certain journal what am i doing you have an experience you post about it and then you you have it written down you go on instagram is also a great tool to learn again my advice is uh, you have to be able to look back every you know every year and say to yourself uh, how did you grow this year and no matter, was it a pandemic year? Was it like your graduation year? Was it the year when you were super busy or not? You have to grow all the time, professionally, also like personally. And uh, if you select a different area right now, not your professional one, because you want to grow, you know, your like family, you want to move to a different country, you have uh, different targets right now. So set your target, go for it. Invest in something else, invest in your professional um, growth, invest in uh, different projects. You can just set up a project uh, uh, on this side, not uh, full-time related to your full-time job, but uh, grow there. But unless you do those kind of startups and big changes and so on, uh, your professional area of expertise is where you grow and you have to do this. And unless you do, you're not a good whoever, barista, roaster, software developer, whatsoever. Thank you so much for the big tip here for life. I have learned a lot from you today. And uh, especially the end, you talk about we have to look back. And then I believe your, your past experience, your mentality, and then how you develop your coffee career. All these things together really make sense that for people who want to become a better person or become professional in their own field, they should follow a pattern or be curious just like you and work the hard, do the research. Like you said, we have many things available today. Yeah, follow that and then keep going. You'll be there. Try not to focus too much on certain goals uh, which do not 
100% depend on you. It's also the circumstances change a lot. And I think this year taught many of us to be able to be agile and adjustable with our goals. Always stay true to yourself. Always enjoy every day. Look in the mirror every birthday that you have and say to yourself uh, proudly, was this the past year the best of your life? And uh, and say it and, and have this as a target. I mean, you can do this every year, but you have to honestly say that it was the best in your life because the previous one was great, but not that great. Even the pandemic years, hard years, years without uh, uh, good, stable work uh, can be great because you just enjoy every day of it. And uh, that's the target and that's the mood. And uh, I wish uh, you guys all be happy and uh, reach something, become someone, and, and be proud of who you are, whoever you are. And enjoy every day, wake up, enjoy whatever you want to enjoy, uh, coffee, breakfast, or just hanging around, or making a great work, or doing a hard job. Just enjoy whatever you do. If Yeah, sensory experiences can help. So <laughs> go out and just cook something. And then <laughs> Thank you, Mickey. It was nice meeting you. Thank you, everyone, for listening to whatever we've been talking about. It just, you know, two old bastards <laughs> trying to give great tips to everyone else. Thank you so much for tuning in to the I'm Not a Barista podcast, where people get inspired and connected through coffee stories. If you want to join our community, then please subscribe for future episodes and follow us on our Instagram to get connected. Until next time, Keep smiling and most importantly, keep drinking coffee.